Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business Channel. We're broadcasting to over 60 countries from the middle of the third most important center in the world for entrepreneurs, startups, angels, VCs, and incubators. This um, LA has blossomed in the entrepreneurial space. It's called Silicon Beach, and uh, it's wall-to-wall entrepreneurs now from um, Santa Monica to Venice. And, uh, and a very important part of the world for technology. And this is where, and it makes sense because this is where technology and entertainment intersect in a large amount of um, what we're doing and what we're learning um, is gamified and uh, revolves around entertainment. And, of course, Hollywood, where we're broadcasting from, is the most important part of place in the world for entertainment. So I want to thank you for making us the uh, number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. I really do appreciate it, and we'll keep trying to live up to your expectations. Now, we often talk about the rapid rate of change that's taking place in business, and I came across a couple of good examples this week. Just 17 years ago, which probably sounds like a long time, but it really isn't, Kodak had 170,000 employees and sold 85% of all photo paper worldwide. Within just a couple of years, their business model disappeared and they were bankrupt. So what happened to Kodak is going to happen to a hell of a lot more industries in the next 10 years. The um, Most people don't see this coming. Most businesses just don't see it coming. And, uh, I mean, anybody think that 10 years ago you'd never take pictures on paper film again? Yet digital cameras were invented 40 years ago. The first ones only had 10,000 pixels, but following Moore's law, and uh, it changed very rapidly. So, as with all the exponential technologies, was disappointing for a while before it became way superior and became mainstream in a few short years. I mean, we think about um, the rate of change over the last 10 years, and it's been pretty frenetic when you think about it in most industries. Well, according to Singularity University, the rate of change is going to continue to accelerate, and uh, we've only gone about 1% of the technology revolution in the last 15 years. We're going to go the next 99% in the next 15 years. So change is going to get exponentially quicker. And it's going to happen with artificial intelligence, with health, with um, autonomous and electric cars, education's another one that's changing rapidly, 3D printing's changing things, agriculture, and of course all this is going to have a big effect on jobs. So Welcome to the fourth industrial revolution. Welcome to the exponential age. Software is going to disrupt most traditional industries in the next five to ten years. And when you think about how things are changing, they're not just incremental or even substantial changes within an industry. They're total disruptions. You know, Uber is simply a software tool. They don't own any cars, and yet they're the biggest taxi company in the world. Airbnb is a software tool. It's now the biggest hotel company in the world, but they don't have any properties. Computers are becoming exponentially better in understanding the world. This year, for the first time, a computer beat the best Go player in the world. Ten years earlier, than expected. For those of you who are not familiar with the game Go, it's originated in China more than 2,500 years ago and is considered to be much more complicated 
than chess and the objective of the game is to surround a larger total area of the board than your opponent. In 2015, the International Go Federation had a total of 75 member countries and an estimated 100 million players worldwide and for the first time a computer beat the best player. In the US, young lawyers can't get jobs. This is probably a good thing. Because of IBM Watson, you can get legal advice within seconds with 90% accuracy compared with only 70% accuracy when done by humans. There will be 90% less lawyers in the future. Only specialists are going to remain. Now, Watson already helps nurses diagnose cancer four times more accurately than humans. Facebook now has a pattern recognition software that can recognise faces better than humans can. And in 2030, or probably earlier, computers are going to become more intelligent than humans. And that shouldn't be hard for <laughs> with considering the intelligence of most humans. In 2018, the first self-driving cars will appear for the public. Around 2020, the complete industry will really be disrupted. People won't own cars anymore. You will call a car with your phone. It'll show up at your location and drive you to your destination. You'll have, you don't have to park it. You only pay for the distance driven and you can be productive while you're driving. So our kids are never going to get a driver's license and will never own a car. This is really bad news for those wankers who drive Mercedes and Lamborghinis and Ferraris and all of those things, but nevertheless. And these changes are going to radically change cities because we're going to need 90 to 95% less cars. So former parking spaces can be changed into parks. At the moment, we have one car accident every 100,000 kilometres. And with autonomous driving, that'll drop to one accident in every 10 million miles. So there's 1% of the number of car accidents. This will save a million lives each year. Most car companies could become bankrupt. Traditional car companies are continuing to try the evolutionary approach, tinker with what is, and just build a better car. Well, Tech companies like Tesla, Apple, Google, they're all taking the revolutionary approach and are going to build a computer on wheels. Well, they are building computers on wheels. Um, I don't know whether you've ever driven a Tesla, but it's like um, driving your iPhone. It's fantastic. Insurance companies will have massive trouble because without accidents, insurance is going to become 100 times cheaper. And those gouging bastards who run... Insurance companies are going to be out of luck. Their car insurance business is going to disappear. Real estate's going to change because if you can work while you commute, people can move further away from the big cities and live in more beautiful neighbourhoods. Cities will become less noisy because all cars will be electric. Electricity is going to become incredibly cheap and clean. Solar production's been on an exponential curve for about 30 years, and now we're beginning to see the impact of that. Last year, more solar energy was installed worldwide than new fossil fuel installations. The price for solar will drop so much that all coal companies will be out of business by 2025 or earlier. And with cheap electricity comes cheap and abundant water. Desalinisation now only needs two kilowatt per hour per cubic metre. Imagine what will be possible if everyone can have as much clean water as they need for almost no cost. Wow, will that make a difference to the planet? One of the major beneficiaries will be health. There will be companies who will build a mechanical device called the Tricorder from Star Trek that works with your phone. 
It takes your retina scan, your blood sample, and you breathe into it. It then analyzes 54 biomarkers that will identify nearly any disease. It'll be cheap, so in a few years, everyone on this planet will have access to world-class medicine nearly for free. We're already seeing extraordinary benefits from 3D printing, which has exploded in the last couple of years. The price of the cheapest 3D printer came down from $18,000 to $400 in about 10 years. In the same time, it became 100 times faster. All major shoe companies now 3D print shoes. Spare aeroplane parts are already 3D printed. The space station, it's a hell of a long way away, now has a printer that eliminates the need for the large amount of spare parts they used to have to carry in the past. At the end of this year, new smartphones will have 3D scanning possibilities. You can then 3D scan your feet and print your own perfect shoes. And you can do it at home. In China, they've already 3D printed six-storey office buildings. By 2027, 10% of every single thing that is being produced will be 3D printed. So that's extraordinary. 10% of every single thing that's produced will be 3D printed. So this is where it becomes incredibly important for entrepreneurs. If you think of a niche that you want to pursue, the first thing you've got to ask yourself, in the future, will we need that? And if the answer is yes, you're going to have to really make that happen a lot sooner. Essentially, if it doesn't work with your phone, unless it's a practical type of gadget, for around the house or whatever, forget it. And any idea designed for success in the 20th century is doomed to fail in the 21st century. A major opportunity is that 70 to 80% of jobs will disappear in the next 20 years. Of course, there's going to be a whole bunch of new jobs created, but it's not clear whether there'll be enough new jobs in such a short space of time to avoid major problems. In the near future, there's going to be a $100 agricultural robot which will enable farmers in third world countries to become managers of their field instead of working all day in their field. Aeroponics will need much less water. The first petri dish produced veal is now available and be cheaper than cow-produced veal in less than two years and people cannot differentiate the taste. So we're already growing veal in petri dishes and people can't differentiate the difference. And now, at the moment, 30% of all agricultural surfaces are used for cows. And you know they fart a lot and they're screwing up our atmosphere. So we're not going to need those cows. We're going to produce meat in laboratories. So if we don't need that space, it's going to be a totally different world. The environment will be cleaner. There'll be a lot of people in abattoirs put out of business, but it's got to be a good thing. And there are several startups and they're popping up all over the place now that are going to bring insect protein into the market shortly. It contains much more protein than meat. It will be labelled as an alternative protein source rather than crushed insects because <laughs> most people, including me, don't like the thought of sitting down and eating a whole bunch of insects. There's a um, there's an app now called Moody's, which can tell what sort of a mood you're in. There are apps that can tell you by your facial expression if you are lying. So imagine watching Sanders and Trump and, and Clinton 
and know whether or not they're telling the truth or telling lies. <laughs> That'd be funny. God. The bloody, your app would be going crazy. Now, right now, the average lifespan increases by three months every year. Four years ago, the lifespan was 79 years. Now it's 80 years. The increase itself is increasing. And by 2036, life expectancy will be increasing by one year every year. So we're all going to live to more than 100. Now, the cheapest smartphones are already at $10 in Africa and Asia. By 2020, 70% of every human on the planet will actually own a smartphone. That means everybody has the same access to world-class education. Every child will be able to use Khan Academy for everything a child learns at school in first world countries, and they'll be in second and third world countries. This software's already been released in Indonesia and it'll be released in Arabic, Swahili and Chinese this summer because of the phenomenal potential. The English app will be free so the children in Africa can become fluent in English within a year or so. Now, as I said at the beginning of the show, the rate of change is quite extraordinary and is certainly something that entrepreneurs of the future need to take into account before embarking on their venture of a lifetime. So more than ever, I mean, we've always had to look at the potential of regulatory changes and changes in society, etc. We've always had to take those into account when planning a new business. But now we really have to take those things into account because the things that we're going into may no longer be there and yet there are a whole bunch of other businesses with possibly huge numbers of people without jobs, a whole new range of businesses that we can be in. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, you'll know that I was recently appointed the Honorary President of the American Institute for Sales, Marketing and Management. It's the premier organisation for business in the US. So if you're serious about improving your skill level, your status, and you want to develop your network, you should join today. So go to AISMM.US, that's AISMM.US, and join now. My guest today is um, Matthew Schultz who's the Chief Executive Officer of Conga, the developer of the Conga suite of cloud-based document generation and reporting applications for Salesforce. This is really interesting. You know, there's such an enormous amount of big data and information that people like Salesforce gather and uh, to be able to pull it down into bite-sized chunks that people can understand readily and interpret and apply is really fantastic. Now, Congress applications have readily built a fan base of more than 150,000 subscribers in more than 45 countries across all industries. I was really surprised to find out that you can actually get to use this information from Conga very inexpensively. If you're just a one-person business, you can make use of this information for maybe 50 bucks. Um, so this is a very interesting interview. And I'll be back with Matthew immediately after this break on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. 
Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking Radio Show. This is where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most interesting business people, successful people, what services they provide, and we try to find out what makes them tick. You know, at a time when somewhere around 99% of all startups either fail or only deliver wages to the entrepreneurs, it's really important to find out what makes these people different and more successful than the other 99% of us that go out there, have, give it a good shot and fail? Um, you know, it's extremely difficult to create a successful business, particularly from a startup where an entrepreneur has to wear so many hats. And usually an entrepreneur is really good at what they do. And research from Harvard shows that startups don't fail because the product's no good or the service isn't any good. They fail because of lack of management ability by the entrepreneurs. You think an entrepreneur starting a business has to be both an inventor and he has to be an HR person and he has to be a salesperson and he has to generate publicity, he has to be good at advertising and marketing and he has to be good at accounting and he has to be good at a whole realm of things and at that stage you can't afford to hire people to perform those roles. So that's why it's important to listen to interviews like the one you're about to hear because we can learn so much off people who have already done it and why every week I say to you, go out and get yourself some great mentors, not people who are friends who will say, yes, that's wonderful, do everything you suggest, but people who have been there, done it, and will give you constructive criticism. And it's really important. I've had mentors for, I don't know, the best part of 30 years or more, and uh, it's amazing how many times I've obtained advice from them that have saved my neck. So go out there, look at the gaps that you've got in your armory, find out what you're good at, what you're not good at, and then find mentors who can give you advice in those areas. Now, my guest today is Matthew Schultz, and Matthew is the Chief Executive Officer of Conga. Conga is the developer of the Conga suite of cloud-based document generation and reporting applications for Salesforce. And Conga solves the problem of how to get data out of Salesforce, all the raw data that they have, and into your custom template and then share it with the right people at the right time. And that's a, that's a very tricky process because that raw data um, takes a lot of deciphering. So Conga's applications have already built a fan base of more than 150,000 subscribers in more than 45 countries across pretty much every industry. Now, you've got to say that that is success. And Matthew is an experienced senior executive with a proven track record of building very successful high-growth technology and cloud companies, ranging from private startup stage to public companies, and he's responsible for setting Conga's growth strategy, which includes financing, driving global sales, and expanding product offerings. This boy's smart. Pretty good track record, too, eh? And his past CEO successes include Insightful Corporation, Courtlink, DocuSign, Tier 3, and the Blue Box Group. He's received several industry accolades in recognition of his past successes, and he's considered 
not only considered, he is an expert on software technology and cloud business practices. So, as I said, this boy's smart. Matthew, welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show and Voice America Business Channel. Well, thank you, Bob. I'm happy to be here. Good. I'm glad you're with us. Um, You've been involved in forming many partnerships and acquisitions, and uh, I actually just came back from Hawaii last night where I was working on a major partnership for a client. It's not easy. (laughs) And so I'm, I'm really interested in how you approach them and how the most interesting of these uh, of your former successes came about? Yeah, it's it's really an insightful question because uh, and and your I thought your intro, Bob, was terrific and spot on. Is uh, particularly as a small startup, um, you know, you, you're wearing a lot of hats and, and you don't have infinite budgets and, and infinite staffs. And one of the things you have to do is form some partnerships early on that. That, that supply leverage for you. And um, I point back to my days prior to this as CEO of DocuSign. Um, I took over that company back in 2007. It was a small, struggling startup. Um, and now, and hopefully you're, Bob, you've used uh, electronic signature from DocuSign. Sure. Uh, I'm, I'm still an active shareholder, so I'm glad to hear that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> little little plug there. But uh, um, back in 2007, we formed a strategic partnership with Salesforce. Um, and, uh, you, you know, what, what I learned very early is that you know, you'd like to do a lot of partnerships. So a couple things. One is you can't do a ton of partnerships. It's it's quality, not quantity. Sure. So instead of trying to take on 10 big partnerships at once, we really focused on on, on really one at a time. And we went ready, aim, fire, and picked Salesforce as our target. And um, then the second goal. thing we did... Yeah, yeah, it turned out to be the right call. Thank you. Um, It it really made the company go. And um, uh, the second thing is we were really uh, transparent and honest with each other about what we wanted out of the partnership and what we could contribute to the partnership. So, you know, sometimes as an entrepreneur, you get a little bit of happy ears, like, I want to, you know, I want to believe that these guys are going to do everything from A to Z to make me successful, and 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 they may not sign up for that. Really, sure. they, they they may do two or three things really well, and a bunch of the other things on the list are up to you to make work in the partnership. And I think qualifying that up front is vitally important because once again, the first point is you can't do a bunch of these simultaneously as a startup. Yeah. So. You know, hopefully that was helpful. Uh, those are two things I really focus on in those early partnerships that I think have paid off. How do you differentiate between, if you're looking at several companies that could be of benefit to you, um, what's your primary consideration in making a decision one over the other? Is it speed speed of, of achieving the next milestone? Is it long term? Is it what what what's your What's your thought process? That's a a really interesting question because most entrepreneurs would say, I'm going to go for the biggest, largest partner on paper because I think that's going to move the needle for me. But if that large partner, if you're such a tiny piece of their business and they really aren't going to pay that much attention to you, then you really don't get the full leverage of a large partner. Sometimes a medium-sized partner is you got 100% of a medium-sized partner's attention, it might be net-net a better partnership for you early in the company's history. Sure. So I, I think you have to be savvy. I think you have to be realistic. And again, back to my previous point, I think you have to be completely transparent on both sides and say, what am I really going to get from this partnership? How much of my your attention and resources am I really going to get? And I think that weighs heavily on, you know, predicted outcome, which which then sure. prioritizes your partnerships. Yeah. At what level, let, let's, let's go back to the Salesforce example, at what level do you negotiate that partnership? 
I mean, like what level of personnel do you yeah. negotiate that partnership? Because that could have a big you know, bearing on what you get too, couldn't it? Yeah, and and that was a new partnership for us. And and back in the day, it was a new a new type of partnership for Salesforce. So we we negotiated and, and talked to you know from, really from Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, sure. down to his direct reports. Um, you know, the chief marketing officer, the chief product officer, the co-founder. Um, we were directly involved with the senior team, uh, again, because it was a new type of partnership. Um, and that level of visibility then reinforced, really, that this, is, this was the group of people we wanted to do business with. This was the right thing for them, too. A lot of entrepreneurs, you've got to put yourself in, 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 in the partner's shoes, too, and, and be honest and say, can I move the needle for Salesforce, yeah. right? Um, if the answer to that's no, you, you shouldn't do it. Yeah. You, you shouldn't do it, really. So I think it's important. You have a fair bit of confidence to sit there and think, geez, I can move the needle for Salesforce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is there some wood in the room? I'm, I'm knocking on it. Can you hear that, Bob? Yeah, it, it, it did. It, it did, but, you know, to their credit, we, we had surveyed a bunch of customers. We had taught, we had done some market research, and we, we, we thought we knew that a big percentage of their customers really needed this add-on capability. Um, so, um, you know, but it still was a bet. Def- definitely was a bet. So how did you, how did you get to um, negotiate at the top? Did you have Entree know these people, or did you work your way up to it? I've just been in Hawaii for a client I like those clients. Um, in a way, for a client where we're negotiating a partnership, and um, it's a it's a quite a big deal, and we mm-hmm. began kind of a fair way down the chain, and it's taken us a while to work our way up, and we're now at the second level. There's, we've got one more level to go, but um, mm-hmm. did you did you have to work your way up the chain, or did you start at the top? <laughs> No, we we had to work our way up, and we were patient about that. We weren't. Uh, we had a high sense of urgency, but we were patient. We wanted to do it right. Um, we did our homework though before. Yeah. Before we asked for access to anyone of, at a higher level, we we really did our homework. So, um, we kind of we, we had some pretty compelling. Uh, we had a very compelling uh, reason for for that relationship to be developed before we ever asked for access right. at higher levels. And then, and then we, we basically had the people we were working with brokering those meetings and, and, and really bringing our message to, the, to those meetings ahead of time so that by the time we met with the senior team, they'd been really well briefed. And, and, and so it went, it went particularly well because we kind of, again, back to my other point, was sort of ready, aim, fire. It just made so much sense that that everyone really agreed. It wasn't it wasn't that we were asking a meeting of the high level team to kick the idea around. We we had vetted it really well. Right. That really reinforces something I say on this program all the time. One of my favorite expressions is by Abraham Lincoln, who said. Um, if I have eight hours to cut down a tree, I spend six hours sharpening the axe. And I think one of the problems with entrepreneurs and with salespeople in general is that they don't spend any time sharpening the axe. They they know their product and bang, in they go and spew it all out with no strategy, with without knowing um, precisely how it fits in and, and without having a, a background of the person that you negotiating with and I think that's a mistake that I don't know I hate to say nine out of ten but a hell of a lot of um, of entrepreneurs and salespeople make not enough preparation I don't know how I would agree more with that <laughs> oh good <laughs> yeah yeah I mean your point earlier Bob during it's related to your point earlier in the introduction is I think that you said, you know, 90 plus, 95% plus of businesses, you know, don't make it after 10 years. The odds are stacked against you. And it typically isn't because 
you, 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 I mean, typically you have a good product or you have a good service or there's, there's an actual need for what you have. So why, it seems illogical, if, if you have a pretty good product and, and there's a need, yet 95 plus percent of them fail, well, how does that make sense? Um, and I think the reason ties back to um, focus. You know, ready, aim, fire is, 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 is a very powerful mantra when, especially early on in your company, where most companies fail not from a lack of opportunity, but typically from a lack of focus and execution, frankly. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, efficiency is something that every business strives and wants to be efficient, but as most people listening to this program know, for one reason or another, achieving a high level of efficiency can be very elusive and bloody difficult for a whole lot of reasons. So how does your app um, help things run more smoothly and gain this level of efficiency? Yeah, you know, well, well we're, uh, in all modesty, what we're good at, what, what we hang our hat on from a world-class standpoint is um, there's a lot of people out there that have now deployed, uh, you know, a, a customer relationship management, a CRM. Yeah. And it's a commonplace now, and Salesforce is the leader. Yet getting data in Salesforce and then taking that data dynamically into documents like proposals and data sheets and quotes and and um, statements of work so that you can conduct business and get it closed right. and then manage those documents and manage those contracts when they're signed it that's not that's that's not what a CRM does it facilitates that but to get more efficiency out of your CRM uh, that's where Conga steps in and we, we we supply a product to work with your data your documents and your contracts and it's all completely integrated with Salesforce right that's that's amazing um, yeah yeah I, I always I always marvel at how um, companies can pull down big data and make any sense out of this unbelievable amount of information and then um, pluck it down so that it, it it's simple, logical, and applicable. Yeah, you know, we, we have this whiteboard at our office that says, you know, it's all about the data. Sure. <laughs> because, you know, you can focus on a lot of things, technology and all this stuff and networking. But, for example, if you send a, you're, you're trying to negotiate a partnership, if you sent a quote or a proposal to a customer and you, you, know, you took that data right out of your system of record, your, your CRM, and then somebody changed you know, or marked it up or added quantities or whatever else, and you couldn't dynamically manage that data both ways, in yeah. and out, it, your efficiency goes to zero, right? You might as well be back to the days of paper and fax machines, right? So um, that's what we try to do. In a, in a, in a world-class way, with, with, with the customer in mind, we, we try to make people's lives much more efficient and, and be able to conduct their business, you know, electronically and digitally at a, at a high rate. Going back to that, um, that quote, it's all about the data. Is it about the data or is it about the interpretation of the data? <laughs> uh, why are you laughing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. D- data can be interpreted a lot of different ways, can it? Yeah, um, can. Yep. So, um, so gonna, yeah, jump. I think our attempt is our attempt is to say, look, if you, if you can't get data in and out, you, you you won't even get to the interpretation. So, yeah, I think the first step is we try to automate that. And then you're right, you know, how you work with data and the decisions. Most importantly, the decisions you make from them yeah. super important. Yeah. Okay, yep. so, so Monday you'll have a new a new whiteboard up, right? <laughs> Don't yeah, to, it's got an eraser. It's got an eraser there in the little tray. I, like, so. I, actually, I actually wouldn't replace the first one because I think the first one's important. But I think that's the first stage. Now you need a second stage that says we got to sort out what the <laughs> fuck this all means. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so this app's a collaboration tool. Um. Yes, it's it's a collaboration tool. You can have you know multiple parties working on a on a, on a document, um, and and the, and the, and the, as I said earlier, the data is dynamic. 
Yeah. Um, so um, you're not rekeying data in and out. Um, you're, you're just grabbing it from your system, your system of record. Um, so yeah, I think it's 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 a very productive tool to use as an individual or in a work group, both. Yeah. How does um, this type and level of efficiency help a company's ROI? Uh, great question. We've actually done. Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. We 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 surveyed our customers, yeah. and over eighty percent of them over eighty percent of them said that what we do is mission critical because we help them get sure. documents generated and out for contracts and deals. Yeah. Um. So that was a nice compliment, and then, um, and then so then we started calling those customers and and doing ROI analysis because we wanted to model that ourselves and be yeah. convinced that we were driving. ROI for customers, and the, the numbers were very successful, and then the final step was they came back and said, I really don't want you to publish those numbers because I feel like it's a competitive advantage for me. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, we feel confident that, that when you're not rekeying data, for example, when you're, when you're, you're, the example I showed you or I talked about where, you know, a document went out, it was changed, and it came back, and and all that data was stored correctly. You know, just it just saves a lot of time and energy, and, and the ROI on that is it's it's you know fantastic. So, so what size companies use your services? Yeah, we have quite a range. Uh, you know, everyone deals with proposals and and quotes and documents. So, you know, we have. Um, Companies, you know, small and medium-sized businesses to large, you know, Fortune 50 sure. companies. Yeah, yeah, quite a quite a range. What do you call small? What do you when you're saying small? Just for our audiences. Uh, you know, I, I would say, in, you know, companies that are uh, 500 employees or less. You know, we we have companies that are 25 person consulting companies, for example, using using our stuff. Um, so yeah, it's it's quite a range. So I'm at, I'm out there and I'm I've got a a business that employs fifty people or something, and I think mm-hmm. gee, this would be advantageous to me. What sort of I know how long's a piece of string, but what sort of cost are we talking about? I mean, for yeah, what's nice is that um, it's basically we license it per per seat or per user. Right. So if you're a 50-person company and you have 10 users, you would pay for a 10-user license. And if you're, you know, a global 2,000-sized company and you want uh, 10,000 seats, then you can license that and obviously pay more. So we really try to size it to the amount of value we're adding to the business. Okay, and that's great. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that's really important because... Um, a lot of things that we talk about on the program, they sound they sound great, and then people say, "Well, how much does it cost?" and then have a heart attack. <laughs> yeah, so we have we have customers who are you know paying us as little as fifty dollars a month to customers paying wow. us you know you know uh, yeah. you know a million dollars a year. So right. you know there's quite a range, and again, it's based on how we feel. The we have to hold an ROI in both cases. We have to have a good return on investment for the customer that's spending $50 a month with us. And we have to have a, you know, just as outstanding an ROI as the customer that's spending, you know, 100000 or more with us. So um, we pay attention to those details and we price the products and services accordingly. Oh, that's a, well, that's a, that's a great model and affordable to everyone. Yeah, definitely. So how did the company come about? Um you know, this program's targeted at entrepreneurs, and many of us know that you know startups are just an enormous amount of work, full of challenges, full of frustrations. So, what's your experience, and how did your background play into um, into into your success? So, just how did the company come about, and how did your experiences play into that? Yeah, so um, the company was started about nine years ago by two entrepreneurs. Um, and uh, Mark and Michael, and um, they had spent a fair amount of time working with Salesforce and customers and more in a consulting mode, 
and realized that that there were some challenges in terms of what I described. Sure. Working with data, producing documents, and they thought, you know, this is a real need, and if we produced, you know, a world-class product, I think people would appreciate it, buy it, and we think the return on investment is attractive. And so they started developing the product, and the company started growing, and growing nicely. It's now the number one paid app on on the App Exchange, on Salesforce's ecosystem, which we're proud of. Um, You know, we have close to now over over 200,000 users. um, And so... um, with my background um, as the CEO of DocuSign, which you know is, is sure. yep. kind of kind of a related company, right? We dealt with documents and signing of documents more than creating the documents. Um, basically, the founders uh, and the investor recruited me to the company to come in uh, last year and then take the company to a uh, a whole new level of of growth and success and. Um, Leverage the experience I've had over the last 25 years building you know, cloud and, and SaaS companies. Yeah. So I've been involved. I've been CEO since November 1st of last year, and and uh, yeah, it's, it's it's gone really well. I'm happy to be here. So is part of your role getting somebody huge to um, to acquire you? No, uh, really. <laughs> I, I, it, I mean, it's a it's a legitimate question, and and you know every entrepreneur is putting their blood, sweat, and tears into their business, and at some point, you know, it, it's good to get an exit of some kind. Sure. You know, my theory, and I've, I've been very, very um, straightforward and 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 diligent, is building. You know, just really focus on building a great company and everything else really takes care of itself. Um, the last company we built together, you mentioned it in my intro, it's a company called Blue Box Group in Seattle. Um, and I partnered there with the technical founder, Jesse Proudman, and we built that company. Never, never put it up for sale, but got approached by IBM and actually wound up selling the company last summer uh, which last night was named by GeekWire the the yep. top deal in in the Northwest last year, so we're proud of that. Um, but uh, you know that's not that was not our plan going in. Our plan going in was really build a great company that all the stakeholders, including the employees and the customers, could be very proud of. And you know we we were approached by IBM and felt like they would be a great partner for those customers and employees and, and wound up doing the deal. So, um, you know, who, who knows at some point that may be the same path at Conga, but for now, you know, we, we spend zero time worried about that. We spend a hundred percent of the time, you know, building, building a great company and, 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 uh, satisfying customers. Okay. So a large proportion of the audience of this show is, Entrepreneurs and um, and executives. What's what's your somebody's left college? We're starting up a book, um, a, a new company, a startup. What advice have you got for up and coming entrepreneurs? And um, what do you think the key points to success are? Boy. Do you, do you have do you have more time on on, on the on the program or yeah go for you're it you're gonna have to you're gonna have to cut me off <laughs> I so, can do that <laughs> um, Bob I'm I'm old I've been at this for 25 years as CEO of software and cloud companies um, although I did start when I was young um, <laughs> so I've been been I've this seen, is not the first rodeo I've um, seen your photo you can't you can't fool me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's been touched up or something. Yeah, um, of course. So, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of things, and I could go on and on, but uh, I guess the best piece of advice I could give uh, succinctly is, and, and this this is technology. I've done my whole career in technology, so I, I, I shouldn't really speak outside of that realm, but... Um, the more and more I spent time in the technology industry, I learned that it's 
less about the technology and more about the people. And um, if people being the quality of the people that you can attract to the company, the quality of the people you can attract as partners or customers or investors, uh, that's what really makes these things go. And I've been blessed to work with <laughs> amazing people and amazing people that have come and worked with me, you know, on two or three different companies now. So um, that's really my advice. Like I think young entrepreneurs, and you mentioned in your intro where, where they get really wordy about their product and, 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 and kind of over, oversell their product or talk exclusively about their product. They're really wrapped around the axle about product is going to win the day. Yeah. And, and, and sure, you need a good product and it has to have a good ROI for customers and, and it has to be world class, but that's not enough. It's the people that make that product a reality. And if you look at the the five percent or less than five percent of startups and technology that actually make it to some scale, you know, pretty much a hundred percent of those the, the people are amazing, <laughs> and they're amazing team. So, what's the most important attribute of these people? What what what's the most important thing that these people have to have is it integrity is it is it drive is it what what's the most important this is my personal opinion the the, the table stakes are are around you know integrity and uh, frankly i look for people that have their own act together is, yep. that, is that fair like yep, like sure. you, you you can tell when you when you talk to someone they're centered um they 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 like themselves they're comfortable in their own skin they're they're focused um that's the baseline i look for and then and maybe this is unique and maybe it's not that the, the 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 real thing i look on top of that is are they the kind of person that raises the that I have to raise the bar on, or do they raise the bar on themselves? Right. Do they get a kick? Do they get a kick out of continually getting better and better at what they do, and make their teammates better and better, and therefore make their company better and better? And that is actually interesting and exciting and rewarding to them because if they are, it's super contagious, and you've got a group of centered, talented employees that are raising the bar on themselves to new heights and, and, and it gets contagious across the company. And then they're doing things, Bob, that you're just scratching your head going, I'm so darn lucky to work with these people. It's yeah. amazing, yeah. right? So that's what I do. And it's very sound advice, I reckon. Matt, thanks very much for speaking to me on with <laughs> I got back late last night after the flight from Honolulu, so I've got to be excused. Um, thank you very no much problem. for speaking with me on the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Now, if you'd like to know more about Matthew Schultz and Conga, go to congamerge.com. That's C-O-N-G-A-M-E-R-G-E.com. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show on Voice America Business after this short break. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, absolutely no bullshit business radio show on Voice America Business. The number one global business radio show for entrepreneurs this week being broadcast from Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles where technology meets entertainment. Over the past 10 years, I've worked with startups and early stage companies to help um, entrepreneurs develop and run successful businesses. And this radio show is all about providing news, information, and tips that can help, hopefully, help you. 
entrepreneurs need to wear many hats and, you know, it's very difficult to be great at everything. So what I want to try and do is to help you identify gaps in your expertise and uh, show you how to plug them. Millennials always seem to get a bad rap and I guess that Generation Zs, which is the current generation, will probably cop the same. However, in my mind, there's no doubt that Millennials and Zs are probably much better prepared mentally to strike out by themselves and become entrepreneurs than the generations before them. Now, I'm a baby boomer and one in five had a college degree, one in three Gen Ys have a degree and it's projected that one in two Generation Zs will be university educated. So having said that, you know, we all know that getting out of college with a degree doesn't guarantee you a job. Um, so they have these traits of being creative and flexible, innovative, and being able to think laterally. And these are things that serve them well in an entrepreneurial landscape where you have to take a risk. Even if you stick at a job, and even if you get a job with a, an above average salary, you're not going to be able to have the lifestyle that you grew up with. And, you know, unfortunately, people's dreams haven't changed over the many decades. People still want property, they want kids, and they want those key life events, but they don't come easily anymore. So you have to think laterally and adjust and adapt to that reality. Having said that, the future, I reckon, is really exciting for young people if they can adapt and evolve and if they have a faith and a belief that they can do something that others aren't doing. And I also think that in the early days, you've got absolutely nothing to lose by having a go because you're not risking that much. So what are you risking? An $80,000 a year job that'll have you in an apartment for the rest of your life? You might as well go out and have a go for yourself. Now, this is the advice that you know I gave my son Hunter. Simply go out and have a go because you won't get what you want following the traditional pathway. It's a road leading to nowhere. So you have to have the confidence to back yourself because few others will and do it while you don't have commitments. And don't be afraid. The rewards both emotionally and financially can be remarkable. For, so for anyone interested in starting their own business, my advice is to forget about all the reasons not to do it and go for it. We all have knowledge that's valuable to others and with technology and information so readily available, it's never been easier. So shake off the shackles and go out and give it a shot. Kick the crap out of it and if you lose, you lose. But the chances are that you'll still come out ahead of where you'd be if you follow the traditional path. A bit of medical news this week. Researchers at MIT the University of Sheffield and the Tokyo Institute of Technology have teamed up and they've created an ingestible robot that expands itself inside a patient's body. The um, robot is surrounded by an ice capsule. Once ingested, the ice melts and the bot expands. It's controlled by an external magnetic field. Recently, it was able to remove a battery from a synthetic stomach. Researchers hope to use the robot to remove foreign objects, patch wounds, and deliver medicine as an alternative to surgery. Great idea. And America's in the midst of a do-it-yourself renaissance, spurred on by networks like um, HGTV and DIY, as well as websites like Pinterest. And one of the hotbeds of this maker movement is schools. From elementary to high school, college and beyond, schools are finding new ways to use 21st century technology to bring back shop class with a vengeance and possibly revolutionise revolutionising the educational experience for a new generation of students. With improved access to groundbreaking technologies like 3D printers and laser cutters, young inventors, tinkers, builders and budding entrepreneurs can prototype and build whatever they can dream up. 
this is a fantastic time in history to be an entrepreneur. I hope you've enjoyed the show. We're pleased to have been bringing you this show now since 2011. So if you're benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. In the next week or so, I'm launching my new website. I will um, let you know on the show and I'll also send a notice out to all of our thousands of um, people who have subscribed to my newsletter. So I look forward to your feedback. Give it to me straight. If you think that it sucks, tell me. If you love it, give me rapturous applause, send gifts and be very effusive. In the meanwhile, remember, if you're not really pushing the envelope and if you're not living right on the edge, kicking the hell out of life, then you're just taking up too much space, wasting other people's time. It's easier and much more rewarding to do the impossible than it is to do the ordinary. This is Bob Pritchard. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.